Happy Father's Day, everybody. And where's Gideon today? See? How is he? Is he home? He's home, yeah. Oh, we tell him to miss him. Yeah. <laughs> um, I, I, I was thinking about uh, this, preaching this Sunday, and I was thinking about all the guest speakers we've had, all the not normal, they aren't all, aren't, aren't all guest speakers, but uh, there's a real problem, you know, because they've raised the bar so high <laughs> that I have to start fasting now. I can't just pray. I'm going to fast. You know, um, I really don't know if I have, I don't have job security anymore. <laughs> it's done. It's over. I, I shouldn't have done that. <laughs> Last, especially after last Sunday, what a message that was. Oh, my goodness. That, that really raised the bar. I mean, I, so I'm going to do my best. Just pray for me. Okay. <laughs> uh, we want to pray for the church, church family at this time. Uh, yesterday, we celebrated the life of Judy Matan, and uh, it was a beautiful celebration. And uh, many, Some of you were there at that celebration, and... Uh, uh, but we do want to keep praying for family, uh, children, grandchildren. Um, I don't think I think Judy would want me to say it. I pray that they will uh, just uh, follow her and her commitment to Christ. Um, I know that's what's the most important thing there. So also um, Valjeanae Alves that we talked about. Well, we didn't talk about it, but we we sent out an announcement. Uh, Valjeanae uh, had a head-on collision with. Uh, a truck in Holliston, and uh, he is uh, still on life support. The doctors have um, seen uh, small signs of life every day, some responses. So they're they're hopeful that there's there's hope hopeful, but we always have hope with Christ. So would you just stop with me right now and let's pray for these two families, Father? I pray for uh, the Matan family. God, you would just move in their lives as they go through a period of grieving and mourning and reorienting their lives over this loss. And no one can take another person's place, so we have to re, uh, reset our lives when we lose someone, as, especially as central as Judy was to their lives. So we pray for them, God. And I know that Judy's prayer was that everyone comes to faith and everyone comes to a living, alive relationship with Jesus Christ. And we pray for... Uh, Valjeanae. God, we ask in the name of Jesus that the supernatural, miraculous power of Christ will come into that room at UMass Hospital and begin to cause brain cells to begin to come alive and bleeding to stop and healing to come in the name of Jesus, we pray. And we pray for his uh, wife, uh, uh, Ione, and those beautiful two little children they have, that you will take care of them during this very difficult time. In Jesus' name, amen. So this is, uh, of course, Father's Day, and we celebrate all of you dads that are here today. And um, I want to, I want to really get, to, I want to really focus today, um, not take side trails or rabbit trails that I like, enjoy taking so much, but um, but I feel like God wants to say something. So. Um, so I ask that you please uh, fasten your seatbelts at this time and secure all baggage underneath your seat or in the overhead compartment. Uh, I also ask that uh, you um, please turn off all personal electronic devices 
including laptops, uh, return your table tray to the upright position, turn off your laptops, cell phones, unless you are following the BCC app and following the sermon. Smoking is prohibited for the duration of the sermon. Thank you for choosing Bethany. Enjoy your flight. Um, here's the question that we want to ask today in this message. Can we win with defeated men? Can we win with defeated men? In one generation, young men have gone from 61% of college degree recipients to a projected 39%. Young women from 39% to 61%. That's Warren Farrell, who wrote The Boy boy Crisis, Why Our Boys Are Struggling and What We Can Do About It. 85% of our prison population are males. 80% of all suicides are, are men. Boys' suicide rate has gone from only slightly more than girls before age 15 to three times that of girls between 15 and 19 to four and a half times that of girls between 20 and 24. Mass shooters, prisoners, Islamic State terrorist recruits are at least 90% male. 79% of all homicide victims are male. One in five boys are now being diagnosed with some form of ADHD, and being medicated for it. Single women buy their homes at twice the rate of single men. Testosterone rates are plummeting even among young males, and sperm counts are down 60% since the 70s. No one seems to know why. Not one National Institute of Health study has been done to investigate this frightening phenomenon. What's going on? Eric Jones of Faith, Hope, and Truth writes, masculinity is in decline. From underperforming students to effeminate behavior, traditional masculinity is slowly vanishing. Now, the reasons are complicated. They're multidimensional. And environments like Bethany Community Church are exceptional places, I believe, for men and boys. The problem we could... examine it sociologically. I'm not going to do that today. It goes way back. It goes back to the mid-18th century um, with philosophers like Jean-Jacques Rousseau and others. If you want a reading list, I'll be glad to give it to you if you want to research that. What the contemporary, contemporary expression is all about. Humpty Dumpty sat on a wall. Humpty Dumpty had a great fall. All the king's horses, all the king's men couldn't put Humpty back together again. P.S. Humpty Dumpty was pushed. However, we don't have to, you don't have to read all that stuff that most of you aren't going to read anyway. Because you, you can go back further. The problem really started in the book of Genesis. As, most, as all of our problems started in Genesis chapter 3. Right? Uh, It all started there in the Garden of Eden. All human problems started there when the creature in a place, that place called Eden, dismissed and disrespected the masculine image of God, ignoring Adam and tempting Eve. Notice that. He He didn't get the two together. You know why? Because... Together, they represented the image of God. 
apart, they only had represented half the image of God. And we're going to see that in just a moment. Satan leveraged her love of beauty, her attention to details. You know, my wife has a terrible memory, Remember, you know. She remembers everything. <laughs> her attention to details, her feminine charm, her beauty, her physical attractiveness, and her emotionality. He leveraged that to create fear, distress, competition between the genders. Consider once again Matthew, Genesis chapter 1, verse 26. Then God said, let us make human beings in our image to be like us. They will reign over the fish in the sea, the birds in the sky, the livestock, all the wild animals on earth, and the small animals that scurry along the ground. So God created human beings in his own image, and the image of God created he them, male and female. He created them. Then God blessed him and said, Be fruitful, multiply, fill the earth, and govern it, reign over it. Genesis chapter 1, verse 26 through 28. Now, I know you're not, uh, one of the reasons we don't have to talk about all the philosophical journey that humanity has taken and Western civilization has taken, because you're not extremists here today. We're not talking to room, I, thought, I doubt if anyone is extreme at all in this room. So let's talk instead of how we can cooperate with God. How can we can restore the masculine image and be a voice in the wilderness and only answering the question this sermon is proposing, not only answering this question, but also providing a strategy as Jordan Peterson likes to talk about using the Pinocchio story, which he loves to use. He talks about rescuing the father from the belly of the whale, which is what Pinocchio did. And I believe that's what God is calling us to do. So I, I'm, I know you're, uh, you're supposed to, a good sermon supposed to keep you in suspense until the end and then the suspense. But I'm going to let you off the hook now. I, I'm going to let the suspense go. The answer to the question, can we win with defeated men, is no. no. We can't. <laughs> the, the first service, I asked that question without answering it. And a bunch of people said, yes. <laughs> no, <laughs> wrong answer. <laughs> I guess the people who get up early the, the, doesn't have many brain cells working. Right? Yeah, I'm going to use a story that we could use for a Mother's Day sermon. It could just as easily be a sermon addressed you women here today. But I, I, I want to put the man in the focus because it's Father's Day and it's a nice thing to do on Father's Day. <laughs> right? Um, it's a story about Israel being attacked by these people, by the Amalekites, and they were terrible people, and they were, you know, terrible in every way, and idolaters, and hated God, and, you know, killed their babies, and all this terrible stuff. And they're attacking Israel, so, it, it, you know, there's a lot at stake. If they lost, they were not even losing uh, the battle, they were losing their culture. They were losing their their God-centered culture, the God-centered life. And so here's the story, and I'm going to read it to you. I won't tell it to you because I'll just read it to you, okay? The Amorites came and attacked the Israelites at Rephidim, and Moses said to Joshua, choose some of our men and go out to fight the Amalekites. Tomorrow I will stand on the top of the hill with the staff of God in my hands. So Joshua fought the Amalekites as Moses had ordered, and Moses, Aaron, and Hur went to the top of the hill. As long as Moses held up his hands... The Israelites were winning. But whenever he lowered his hands, the Amalekites were winning. 
When Moses' hands grew tired, they took a stone and put it under him, and he sat on it. Aaron and Hur held up his hands, one on one side, one on the other, so that his hands remained steady till sunset. So Joshua overcame the Amalekite army with the sword. So, amen, it's, it's appropriate. Good, good. Uh, you'll, be a, you'll be clapping a lot before it's over. So I want to, number one, admonish the men in the room. Number two, I want to admonish the women in the room. And number three, I want to give hope to everybody in the room. So let's go. Men, go to the top of the hill and extend open hands toward heaven. Going to the top of the hill means you're ready to show up and take responsibility. It's true, Joshua had to fight in the, battle, in the, in the valley below. The warriors had to go fight. Moses, at this point, he's an old man. He can't go and fight. He couldn't go and fight. But he could focus. He could become visible. He could show up. He could show up with extended hands. Extended hands meant a lot of things. It's a very deep meaning. You, you follow the scripture and you will see extended hands all over the scripture with very deep meanings. I say, first of all, extended hands are a sign of surrender, moral purity, uh, and more surrender. Biblically speaking, having strong or weary arms, strong or weary hands has, has this very deep meaning. It, raised hands can mean, uh, I have nothing against you. No resentment. We even use that kind of body language when we talk. If we get in a kind of a, an argument with someone uh, and they accuse us of not liking them or they accuse us of having something against them, it, it, you, nobody has to even tell you to do it. You will, you will automatically do, give them this body language. Hey, I don't have anything against you. Hey, I'm good. I, hey, hey, we're good. You know? Uh, and uh, you cannot build a life-giving movement on bitterness and resentment. That's what people are trying to do in the world today. They're trying to build, they're trying to build a movement on people being offended. They're trying to build a movement on people being angry. They're trying to build a movement on who's done what to you. You can't, build a, 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 you can't build anything great on resentment. And so men, we have to go to the top of the hill. All, the, all these men who are doing all those horrible things, those are angry men. Those are angry men who are killing themselves. Those are angry men who are committing homicide. Those are angry men who are joining terrorist groups. And I know that's not, not happening in this room with anybody in this room. But sometimes we can have... We can have a low level of infection of what the world has at, viral, at a high viral load. We can have a low level of infection in the church and with men who are men of God. I want to challenge you men to let go of all your rage. I want to challenge you men to forgive everyone who's offended you, to forgive everyone who's hurt you, everyone in your life who's hurt you. I want to challenge you to come before God with extended hands and say, God, because ultimately, ultimately resentment is the resentment of God because if God is all-powerful, he could have kept that thing from happening that happened to you that you're angry about. So ultimately, you go to God and say, God, I have nothing against you. I have no controversy with you. I'm done. So that's what we're calling you to do. Also, Extent, raised hands can mean, can mean praise and blessing. God, I just praise you 
God, I just recognize that you are the source of my power and you're the source of my strength. I recognize, God, that you're in charge of the universe. I recognize that you're in charge of the world. So raised hands can be a statement of praise. It's a statement of faith. It's all of those things. It's also uh, acknowledgement that blessing comes from that higher power, you know? The guy knocks a home run all the way to first base. He's doing that. Scores the touchdown. Hands up. Because that's normally what we do to say the credit goes somewhere else. Raised hands and also mean, let me show my gratitude to God. Raised hand can, can mean transparency. I have nothing to hide. Hey, I got nothing to hide. You, you'll just do that automatically and somebody accuses you. I, I got nothing to hide. <laughs> and one of, the, one, one of the things, all that stuff I read about men, here's, here's what men do. Here's what men do. Men, men, we are very good at compartmentalizing. We're very good at it. We're very good at, we have little boxes in our brains and we put everything in a box. And I know you've heard Mark Gunger talk about this and the rule is the boxes must not touch. <laughs> I love Mark Gunger talking about it. We got, a, we got a box for the house. We got a box for the job. We got a box for the wife. We got a box for the kids. We got a box for our hobby. We got a box for our mother-in-law in the basement. Yeah, we, <laughs> we, we got a box for everybody, you know. And uh, uh, so we are very good at compartmentalizing things. And we're also very good at having secret worlds. We're very good at it. And when men are angry or hurt or damaged in some way, and, 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 and you know, they, everybody tells us to talk about it, but that doesn't always work out to talk about it. So what do we do? We create some activity that anesthetizes our pain. Some emotional analgesic. Drugs, alcohol abuse, pornography. The internet is huge. The internet is full of little boxes that you can get into that anesthetize your pain and cause you to forget and because you're a man and you're so good at compartmentalizing, you leave that box and you think it doesn't matter because you put it in a box and you came to church and you put your porn habit in a box and you're going to come to church. It's not going not to hurt anybody. Boxes have a way of coming open at the most inopportune times. Amen. So men, I'm calling you to repent of your sin. Not, I'm not shaming you at all. We've all sinned and fallen short of God's glory. I have sinned. I've had my boxes that I, ha I had to go clean out too. But I'm telling you, if we're going to win the battle, if we're going to become winners who make our families winners and our church a winner and our community winner, we need men with extended hands that said, God, I have nothing. I don't have anything in my hands that I'm hiding. My hands aren't in my pocket. My hands are open before you. Now, it's possible that Moses upraised hands creates really supernatural power, it's possible that it was a battle strategy. It's possible, I don't think so, but, you know, you know, it's like the first base coach who does that, run on the next pitch, <laughs> you know, or uh, the football coach, basketball coach sending signals in from the sidelines, you know. Maybe he was sending, uh, uh, maybe he was calling plays up there on the mountain. I don't know. I don't think so. 
But whether those signals came supernatural intervention or prompted a natural strategic response, Israel ain't winning if Moses ain't on that hill. They ain't, they ain't winning if Moses doesn't go to the top of the hill. And the church, the family, the community's not winning if men don't go back on the hill with extended hands. So, let's talk to the, the, the ladies for a minute. Women, encourage the men who are trying. Moses was a man who saw the battle, wanted his community to win, was willing to do what he could to make sure his community with its biblical purpose and biblical values would not be swallowed up by the barbarians and the godless and the seemingly superior supporters of the Amalekites. But the Amalekites are going to own the Jews if Moses is not visible, focused, and strong. Don't ignore the condition of your Moses or we all lose. So the first parallel with Moses and the Amalekites and absent masculinity is that men need to show up. The second parallel is everybody, including men, get weary in well-doing. The Bible says be not weary in well-doing and that's a big fat clue that you all get weary in well-doing. Anytime the Bible tells you not to do something, it means you're going to do it. You know that? The Bible says don't lust, you're going to lust. The Bible says don't lie, you're going to lie. <laughs> the Bible says don't be weary, you're going to get weary. Whatever the Bible tells you to do, that's why it tells you not to do it, because he knows you're going to do it. It kind of had something to do with our Savior dying on a cross, too. <laughs> See, it's inadequate to send your men off to Bible study to straighten them out. I'm going to send them off to men's group to straighten them out. Man fuel is encouragement. That's man fuel. That's what keeps men motivated is encouragement. A man will run through a wall for you if you will encourage him. Now, there's an exception to that, of course. There's exceptions to everything, just about. But, most men will run through a wall if you will encourage them. So how can I encourage them? Well, let me give you some, some ideas. Try this. Give your man an esteem or respect credit instead of a respect deficit. Because here's what's happening in the culture right now. Here's what's happening. Men are expected to love their wives unconditionally. You're expected to give your woman a love credit. If she's in a bad mood, if she, tra if she trashes the house, if she ignores you, you're supposed to give her a love credit. And, that, and that's biblical. You, ought, you should give her a love credit. It shouldn't be like, woman, clean this house and I'll love you. <laughs> You know, show me some physical affection and I might love you. That's, that stinks, right? How many of you women want that kind of relationship with a man? Well, how come a guy has to start with a... Guys need respect. That's what guys crave. Guys know you. We know you love us. We're, yeah, yeah, sure. How, what's not to love? What energizes a man is honor. You, you can say you cannot like it. You can say it's 
chauvinistic, you can say it's a part of it. The patriarchy, whatever you want to call it, it you ain't going to change it. Because it's how we're wired. It's how God wired us. And so, um, but, but a guy should not have to start every day with a respect deficit. We respect and we love because this is the person that God put in our lives. We respect and love because of position. So, it, 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 see, the, the respect deficit works like this. Oh, boy. I was really going to be nice to you, but you rolled your eyes at me. Blew it. You blew it. You, in other words, every day you got to get up to zero. You gotta do. You gotta do something special. You 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 don't have a bad day if you have a bad bad day or a stumble stumbling of some sort. You you don't take you don't clean the house when you were supposed to clean it or you don't empty the dishwasher. I mean, you know that traumatic moment opening the dishwasher. That is such a traumatic moment for a man <laughs> because you want it to be empty. You, the dishes are dirty in the sink, and you think it. I'll open it if. It's empty. But if I open it and it's full, I have to put all those dishes away. So <laughs> I've just started disciplining myself. Really, I, I've been doing this. And I've been pretty faithful since we moved in the house. Is every night before I go to bed, I try to make sure the dishwasher is empty and the dirty dishes are in the dishwasher. And if there's enough of them, I run it. And I just, it's a little discipline. Sherry never said I had to do anything, I just like to do it. I don't like to do it. I hate to do it, but I, 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 I think it's the right thing to do. I said no rabbit trails, and you're letting me do it. You're letting me do it. Take it all this time that you need to be celebrating with your dad in a few minutes. So, so let, let's, let's give, give the man a respect credit. So you're going to start with... Now, it, it can't be unconditional. Uh, not, not, it can't be unlimited. That's the word I was looking for. It can be unconditional and unlimited. Every man should have a limit on how much he can do before you remove his respect card. Right? There's got to be limits. And there's limits to how much he should love you, too. Not, not God's love. I understand God's love. But there are things you can do that has, will, will, cause, will, will, will bring him to the place that, you know, if you're going to keep Going out with that other guy, the love is just not going to be there, baby. It's just not going to happen, right? So we can all send away our, um, what we need from the relationship, right? Okay, let, let me give you a couple of quick ones. These, these are easy. They're, they're, they're simple. They're hard because you don't want to do them. And, and, and that's remember. You, don't want, you do not want to do these things, women. You don't want to do them. So you have to go ahead and do them badly. I'm serious. You have to do them badly, and you'll finally get better at it. Give your man an approving look. Nothing we hate worse than the disapproving look. The disapproving look, I don't care if you're six foot six and can bench press 350 pounds, the, the, the disapproving look from your spouse, your female spouse, your significant other, it, is, is, it will totally take away all your strength. You can't overcome it. Regularly give your man an affirming touch. 
In fact, let's just try that right now. Just, 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 you know, it can be like that. It's just very simple. I, I'll cross the room. If you're not sitting next to your husband, don't do that. <laughs> you can sit, you're sitting next to your father. You can do it. You can do it. I'm all right. So right now, on the count of three, one, two, three, affectionate touch all over the room. Affirming touch. <laughs> Another one. Occasionally bless your man with an encouraging gesture. That can be a cup of coffee. It can be a lot of things. Use your imagination. Take a break from the fact that you're probably winning the exhaustion Olympics. Take a break from that focus. I'm tighter than you. But you probably are. I don't, we don't want it to be this way, but often you women carry more weight and responsibility than we do. I don't, I haven't figured it out. I think because we're just so one, one track mind. A man is a one track mind animal. He's just like, focus on one thing, we're driving to Cincinnati. That's it. And, and it's actually, it's a, it's a, it has a biological root. The corpus callosum that connects the two spheres of the brain is larger in a woman than it is in a man. So you can be worried about more things than we can be worried about. We, we, we just can't care about that many things. It's just really hard. And especially if you have little children, I don't care. And I, I was very involved with my children, especially Elise, and very involved, and I loved it. it I did a lot of more, a lot of child care with her, and I'm, you know, I think men should do all of it. You should change the diapers. You should get up in the middle of the night, all that stuff. But how many of you know a little helpless baby wants its mommy? A little helpless baby doesn't go, I want my daddy. It wants its mommy. You know, so you're going to win the exhaustion Olympics most of the time. But just because you're exhausted doesn't mean he's not tired. Doesn't mean that his tiredness doesn't... So acknowledge it once in a while. It won't kill you. And it will encourage him that you're able to look in his eyes and see, I notice, babe, that you're tired. I care about that. You see, the, 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 the Christian church went through this period of time where it was taught, I call it silver bullet theology. One thing will change everything. If we just teach men to stand up and be men, everything will be perfect. Women will, women will be helpless not to love God and be responsive to their man and family if the man will just stand up. And, and, and before that, the, 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 that movement was called Promise Keepers. Before that, there was the Total Woman Movement. And there was a book called Total Woman that went, it was before viral meant, uh, meant, meant uh, p promotion and publicity. In those days, viral meant you were going to die. You know, but it went viral, this book. And it was taught women, if you, the woman, will be submissive and responsive and you meet him at the door with saran wrap, uh, wrapped in saran wrap. <laughs> that's, literally, that's literally what it said. <laughs> Your man will be, he will not have a choice but to serve God. He will love God and, and do every, he will be incredible. The Bible doesn't teach this. Anywhere in scripture for Apostle Paul, and he's the main one, who just, if he addressed a woman, he always addressed a man. 
He always addressed the kids. He addressed everybody. What's the message? If we're going to win, everybody's got to show up. Men have to show up and be men. Women have to show up and be women. Young people have to show up and be strong. Everybody has to show up for the renewal and revival that I believe God wants to send to his church. Everybody has to show up. The man's not going to be able to be strong enough to make his wife do what she needs to do. The wife's not going to be loving and affectionate enough to make the man do what he needs to do. Everybody has to get under, the, under submission to God Almighty and serve Him and do what they do as unto the Lord. Thank you. Finally, finally, let's talk to everybody. Everybody. Here's what I want to say to everybody. Stop doubting that doing things God's way can possibly fail. Exodus 17, 14, Then the Lord said to Moses, Write this on a scroll as something to be remembered and make sure that Joshua hears it because I will completely blot out. Let that sink in. God said, I will completely blot out the name of Amalek. He didn't say, Moses, you're the hero. Moses, Moses, Moses. Let's make a celebrity out of Moses and make little statues of Moses with his hands up that everybody takes home. And No, he said, I am the one. I will blot out the name of Amalek from under heaven. Moses built an altar and called it, the Lord is my banner. Because he said, because hands were lifted up against the throne of the Lord. Wait a minute. There's another set of hands here. There's these hands. That was Moses. But he said, because hands were lifted up against the throne of the Lord, the Lord will be at war against the Amalekites from generation to generation. So Moses' hands represents the man who surrendered to God. The Amalekites represented the fist that was raised in defiance of God. But the raised fist of defiance will never prevail over the extended hand of surrender. Never. Here's what God, I believe, spoke to my heart this week as I was studying and preparing. And you judge. The Bible says one's prophesy, another's to judge. So you judge whether this is the Lord or not. But here's what I heard in my spirit. When I want to do something in the world, I I don't go to the world, I go to the church. 1 Peter 4.17, for the time has come for judgment to begin, and it must begin at God's household. Revelation 3.22, whoever has ears, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Matthew 16.8, I will build my church, and the powers of hell cannot conquer it. You know, one of the remarkable things about the early church uh, is uh, I, I know we're in the midst of a sex and gender revolution or a, the latest iteration of the sex and gender, gender revolution. It's been going on for a long time, but the, the latest, you know what the latest iteration, the latest uh, manifestation of that is. And sometimes we, we, don't, we miss the fact that we're not the first generation to face these challenges. In fact, uh, uh, Kyle Harper who is a professor of classics and literature and senior vice president and provost at the University of Oklahoma. In other words, he's a big deal, I guess. He wrote a book called From Shame to Sin, The Christian Transformation of Sexual Morality in Late Antiquity. Uh, he is an expert in the history of the late Roman Empire and the late Roman world. He explained in his volume how the Christian sexual ethic so despised, it was so despised, 
and seemingly inconsequential in the first century, later to become codified in law. So, so here's the transformation in a nutshell. Sexual morality in the Roman Empire was very permissive. There were 43 brothels in Rome. It was based on sexual status, or social status, I meant to say, and sexual desire. They didn't have categories of heterosexual and homosexual in, the book, in, the, in those days. But if you had social status, your sexual desire, you could pretty much fill it, fulfill it with anyone you wanted to, any way you pleased, and no one could stop you. And so they had, uh, uh, pederasty was huge. Pederasty means men and boys having sex. And so uh, men would have sex with young boys all the time. And it was totally condoned and nothing you could do about it. Nothing anybody could do about it. It was very common. And of course women had no rights. Slaves had no rights. They were owned by these men. It was a, it was a culture. It was a sick culture sexually. Very sick culture that the church was, was in, in. And so here, here's the transformation that, that's talked about in the book. Sexual morality in the Roman Empire was permissive based on social status and sexual desire and could be fulfilled in a myriad of ways. Sexual morality under the triumph of Christianity was austere, based on gender, and sexual desire could only be fulfilled in one way. According to Kyle Harper, the triumph of Christian morality meant, I want you to hear this, promiscuous Roman males were the losers. While women, slaves, prostitutes, and young boys were the big winners. When God wins, the vulnerable win. But God can't win without surrendered men. That's my message today. God can't win without surrendered. But the other part of my message in this closing words is that God will win. Virtue will win. If it won in the first century, no one could have believed it that these little band of Christians who begin to live holy lives and begin to be filled with the Holy Spirit and go about the land, they didn't march on Rome. They would have been slaughtered the first day they tried something like that. They didn't, they didn't go out and even, even try to win some culture war. And I'm not totally against fighting a culture war. There's time and place for that in your life. But they didn't, go, they didn't go out and win some culture war. They just preached the gospel and they, they lived a, a morality that was, un, that was uniquely tied to the Hebrew scriptures. And eventually, all of society embraced their moral ethic over the perversion that ruled and basically destroyed Rome and brought it down. Somebody say praise the Lord. When we hear both, when we honor both masculinity and femininity, we are exalting the image of God. It's not about exalting men above women, women above men. We, we must exalt both because the image of God is both. The image of God is male and female. The image of God is both. We everybody's got to come to the everybody's got to come to the table. Everybody's got to get in the game. When we exalt the image of God, we bring about human flourishing and the ultimate triumph of Christ. 
So, as I said, this is not about winning a culture war, although to alleviate human suffering, sometimes we must engage in it. God in his wisdom has chosen to save the world through the church by making us keepers of truth and the preservers of divine order. Ephesians 3.10, and I love this verse so much. God's purpose in all of this was to use the church to display his wisdom in its rich variety to all the unseen rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. How many of you want to join this act of worship, which is what Moses on the hill represents? How many of you men want to do that? How many of you want to join this act of worship by elevating and putting God's masculine image to complement the feminine image? And see what God can do. See, that, that, that's what that was about. That, that war with the Amalekites was important, and they won that battle, or that battle, I should say. But it wasn't really about just them winning that battle. It was about honoring God so that God would win the battle. The Bible says, if a man's ways please the Lord, he makes his enemies to be at peace with him. So my call today and my concern today is that we began to walk with God in such a way that we untie God's hands. We unshackle God. If I can say it that way, and I know that needs explanation that I don't have time to give you why I would say it that way. But the Bible says, whatever you bind on earth, it's bound in heaven. The message for the church today is let's start unbinding heaven. And so we release heaven to start happening on earth. That's our prerogative, friends. That's our prerogative. I'll tell you what I want to do. Dan Burrell preached last Sunday. What a great sermon that was. And he had everybody come forward, and it felt really good. And I thought, we all have paralyzed this week. I said, I, I, I need to do that more often, because that felt good. And it felt right. So I'd like for every father in this place who would say uh, let's just let's broaden it, we got room every man every, every man in this place who would say I'm willing to go to the top of the hill with extended hands I'm willing to show up I can't do everything but I'm willing to show up and become the man that I believe God wants me to be I'm willing to clean my hands if they're dirty I'm willing to get them out of my pocket. I'm willing to let go of resentment. I'm willing, I'm willing to expose my secret worlds that I've, I've set up, the secret worlds where I get my pain anesthetized. I'm willing to expose it to somebody else who will help me with it if I can't do it by myself. I want to be a man of God. I want you, if you say that, get up and come and just stand to the front. And you need to come real close to the front because we're going to invite the ladies to come in behind you. What a beautiful group of men this is. We're so, we're so blessed at Bethany Community Church. We're so blessed. Oh my goodness, look at this. Look at this. Look at this. And this is, you know, Father's Day, Mother's Day is the highest attended services in, in America. Father's Day is the lowest attended service in America. So this is really looks great, man. This is fantastic. Can we just, for the next few minutes, just have a, like a mini, a mini 
Pentecost for just like three minutes, five minutes. And um, I think the posture that would be appropriate would be extended hands. Can we just extend our hands? Now, I want ladies come in and come fill in the back. And many of you as you can, just will come in, fill in the back. Father, we extend our hands. And number one, Lord, if there's any, any resentment, in our lives, anger, rage, hurt that we just hold on to. I know I've done it, God. <laughs> Many times I've held on to hurt. I've held on to offense. Just, I want to let it go today. Oh, Father, we, let us let go. Let us let it go. And oh, God, we pray in the name of Jesus that you will, uh, if our hands are unclean because we have something to hide, Lord, we don't know how we got into that thing that now has become our secret. As it's said in the recovery movement, we're only as healthy as our secrets. So, Lord, we give up our secrets today, our secret world, our secret activities that we know are bringing us down. We do them because we're in pain. We do them to assuage and anesthetize our pain, but we give them up, oh God. Lord Jesus, Lord Jesus, and we also extend our hands in praise gratitude. Thank you for making us a man. Thank you, God, that you made me a man. Thank you, God. Thank you, God. Thank you, God. Thank you for all the trials and tribulations that come with that role. Now, God, in the name of Jesus, in the name of Jesus, if you're tired, you can put your hands down. You don't, you don't have to. It's up to you. Thank you, Jesus. Now, Lord Jesus, fill us with your Holy Spirit. Give us a fresh infusion of the Holy Spirit. And God, we pray for that battle below, that battle that's happening in the culture, that battle that's happening with our kids, that battle that's happening with our families and even with our spouses. And we just pray, God, that you will begin to give victory, oh God. You'll begin to give victory. If we, we agree, we agree that we will live with extended hands on, on the mountaintop. Focus, accepting responsibility, but knowing that we can't do it all. We can only be obedient to what you tell us that we should do. And you have to do the rest. And God, you are incredibly adequate. In Jesus' name. In Jesus' name.